0: As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, Bacon and Ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host, Ben Kreider, and today. We are continuing our rotation series on the pod. I'm going to be discussing the shooting guard position and how I project the day one rotation to reflect on that two guard spot. So we'll be talking about the likes of Josh Giddy, Jalen Williams, Lindy Waters, and Eugene Omaruyi and where they all slide in. If you guys did not listen to the last podcast, I discussed the point guards, SGA, Trey Mann, Teo Maladone and Ty Jerome so give that one a listen if you want an in-depth evaluation on that but we're going to be talking about the quartet of shooting guards today and we'll be topping it all off with a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook just starting things out with the shooting guard position one thing that might catch some flack and deservingly so is listing Josh Giddy at the two guard now he is a point guard he was drafted as a point guard And I think if you check, you know, listings, he could be slotted at that one. But the way that I am doing this and the way I'm structuring this, if you are the starting shooting guard in a lineup, I'm going to put you at the two guard, you know, and that's going to move up to Lou Dort in the next episode at the three. I know that with this Thunder group, you can kind of say there's a positionless element to the team. Uh, so that's why I feel like you can be a little bit more fluid in terms of where you want to slide everybody in. So that's why I have Josh Giddy being pushed over to that two spot. But just kind of recapping what we've done here. 240 minutes up for grabs in a rotation, you got 48 times 5, 5 for all the position, 48 minutes for 48 minutes in the ball game, and that is how you come to this little conclusion. We gave way more than 48 in the point guard position. I believe I divvied out 57 in all between SGA and Trey Mann, just because how dynamic those two can be, and we're going to start things out with a dynamic player in Josh Giddy. Now, last season... Josh Giddy was basically the starter the entire time. I think he started start to finish with this roster, and he didn't really encounter too many injuries around the All-Star break. That's when we did see him, you know, drop out a bit earlier, but he played 54 games. He started in all of them and averaged 31.5 minutes per game, averages of 12.5 points, 7.8 rebounds, and 6.4 assists with a 2-to-1 assist-to-turnover ratio, which is pretty solid for him, especially when you're talking about a six eight jumbo guard. With Josh Giddy, I mean, he has some high expectations. He ended last year, you know, with the most triple-doubles out of the rookie class, all-rookie second-team honors, and, you know, I think he's bound to receive similar to even more playing time. He was a focal point last year, Next to SGA, did you see a little bit of abrasion? Of course, uh, but that was based on kind of the catch and shoot department. But when you're talking, you know, if they're able to handle the offense, I think both orchestrate the Thunder system beautifully. And I think that's why it was a slam dunk fit and pick, you know, two seasons ago when at the time it was kind of seen as a curveball. I think Kuminga was sort of what you jotted down or what I jotted down as that consensus selection. That three ball is really what is going to make or break his season. And I think, in terms of his overall outlook, it doesn't change the minutes much. It doesn't change the minutes much here either. Uh, but if we're just breaking him down as a player, I mean, he is an excellent half court piece. And even in the fast break, I mean, he's launching football passes, looking like Xavier Simpson sometimes with how he's, you know, heaving those full court. Uh, but he has passing vision out of this world. He knows we're all nine other players on the floor are at all times. He understands the spatial awareness and he's really good at manipulating defenders to kind of open up cavities to either kick it out or, you know, try to work in space. I think the floater is really uh, a thing that he added to his bag later in the season. And that's going to be very, you know, key to his game. I think based on his overall profile and based on how he's able to navigate off of screens, You know, defenders have to make a tough decision. And I think with Chet Holmgren in the mix, it's going to make it even more difficult. Are you going to play drop coverage? Are you going to hard hedge? I mean, are we talking straight up switches here? And I think the one spot that not just Giddy, but I think a lot of guards in general have been able to pick apart is maybe a foot or two inside the foul line because you have those more flat-footed centers that, uh, you know, are a little bit more stable below the basket. They can't really... Play out in space at the perimeter, and they kind of give you that 10 to 12 foot range, and you're starting to see a lot of guards kind of bring that shot back. I wouldn't say it was glory days or anything, but you know, there are a lot of people who can get on their own tangents simply off of, you know, push shots, floaters, runners, whatever you want to call it. They're able to get it down. And I think with Josh Giddy, that's something that he's going to be able to improve on. And, you know, once that shot starts rolling in, it's going to make coverages a lot more difficult for other defenses. And you're going to start to see a lot more collapses, I believe, uh, to the interior with him. So he's kind of just the perfect secondary playmaker next to SGA. I think, You know, at times he can be the number one in action there because, you know, he is out of the two, probably the worst uh, three-point shooter in terms of ball handling. I think that both of them are, you know, better in their own unique categories. If we're talking who's better at, you know, absorbing contact, getting to the rack, it would be Shea Gildress-Alexander, much better at drawing fouls as well. Uh, With Josh Giddey, I mean, no slight to him, though, because he still is a very dominant player when he wants to go downhill and create contact. Not too many free throws, as I mentioned, though just one and a half attempts per game last year. Uh, but when he does, you know, seep into the mid range and into the paints, uh, you do see some pretty good qualities out of him. I have him chalked up getting 32 minutes in the rotation. That is the second most on this team, and it's another one of those things where I think he just fits like a glove in this overall system. Um, you know, this is basically identical minutes to what he had last year at 31 and a half. And obviously this number can move up. I think if you're talking a max, maybe 34 is where you'd cap it off. I don't think he'd go any higher this season, but He does have, you know, a lot of qualities that not just works in the system, but it works with the overall package that this team brings. You know, this is a rotation that, as I mentioned in the early moments of this pod, they aren't really grounded to positional labels. I think they've maybe identified some and they've addressed it, particularly this offseason, acquiring Chet Holmgren and Jalen Williams, um, being Jay Will out of Arkansas. That's kind of whittled down uh, the center position where, you're, you know, you're not bringing in guys like Moses Brown and Tony Bradley uh, to kind of filter in and out. Olivier Saar last year where they'll make an impact, but they're not really long term. I think, you know, Holmgren and, and J-Dub or Jay will excuse me, were brought in with the long term in mind. So that's why you saw players like Isaiah Robey move out. That was the biggest kind of positional question mark they had, and they've kind of, thrown that one out into the sea so it is going to be a bit of a slide where I think the power forward position is going to project some of those um, previous center minutes small forward might have some of those impacts regardless though Josh Giddey's size and his overall play style makes him perfect to play one through three and I think positional versatility is ultimately what is going to field this roster if you're not able to play you know more than two positions I think it's going to be an uphill battle to maintain a roster spot. Initially, getting your foot in the door, I think there's obviously a chance that you would be able to kind of assert yourself, but as time goes on, I think this roster is going to get more difficult to kind of break into. Josh Giddey's kind of on the top of the mountain right now, and I don't expect that to change. I think that it's going to be a smooth year from him where you get to see development. The one area, though has to come from the three I think the rebounding categories the assist categories and the penetration ability from him is going to be a constant you know this isn't something that should see a drop off might take a massive takeoff but the three-point shot it's almost I I don't want to say it's at rock bottom per se because you know he did have some spurts but shooting 26.3 percent from distance is not uh, going to be acceptable if he's going to play you know, kind of the peanut butter jelly with SGA in terms of how you want to stack up everything and um, how the Thunder have stuff set up. So that's where I have Josh Giddey, 32 minutes per game. think it's going to be a, an upward season for him, should see big improvements. And I know, you know, whenever I was discussing the hoops hype rankings, they had him in the top 25 for point guards. I'm listing him as a shooting guard. I still think he'd probably break into the top 25. Very, very special talent. I want to talk about the other guys in this shooting guard position in OKC. But first, I want to let you guys know about a very special offer going on with my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. The action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook, especially this summer. With tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports, you can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's right. Make your first bet to $1,000, and if it doesn't win, you'll get another shot to cash in. You can throw down on all the major action for baseball, golf, MMA, and more. Plus, with same-game parlays, spreads, money lines, over-unders, and props, your betting options feel endless. NBA season not going on right now. We got to look forward for training camp coming up next month, Uh, but as of right now, you know, you guys can keep tabs on MMA and baseball. Those are the two big ones I've been looking at. Had the Field of Dreams game earlier last week. Uh, That's always a fun one, so... Could have bet on that one. You guys can always bet on the MLB season, and you guys can do it at DraftKings Sportsbook. If you guys are interested, here's what you have to do for that offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Make your first deposit and get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's promo code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details continuing along the rotational depth charts at the shooting guard position there are plenty of guys that you could list as a shooting guard i understand we're trying to spread things out here so that is why we only got four today number two in line i think is going to be stamped as a shooting guard though to begin the season and that is rookie guard Jalen williams I continue to harp about this, guys, and I have the records to show for it right after the Chicago NBA Combine scrimmages. I mentioned Jalen Williams. He was going to be that high-riser like Joshua Primo was two seasons ago. Primo goes 11, was expected to be a late first-round pick. Jalen Williams gets picked 12th. I think you could probably say he would have been a mid-first-round pick um based on consensus obviously you know stuff came out maybe he was a lottery pick if the thunder didn't take him but that's where things stood going into this from a media perspective i held firm on this assessment the entire way you guys can look at my draft day article i posted on si thunder you guys can check my draft day podcast on this podcast i always kept j dub in the conversation because he just seems like the perfect type of glue guy to fit within this roster One thing that I really preach in terms of how this Thunder team is structured uh, and how to benefit the most and maximize everything is keeping it to a four-guard rotation in most situations because, really, it's a five-guard rotation due to Lou Dort being there. But when you start bringing in guys like Teo and Ty, for example, for like 10-minute stints, it does kind of change the order. You can play the starting core of Giddy and SGA ample amount of minutes the best thing though is finding guards in the backcourt that can intertwine can play with any of the other three in a backcourt tandem and succeed Jalen Williams is the perfect puzzle piece for the current three and SGA Josh Giddy, and Trey Mann just going into the statistics with him he was really good at Santa Clara did it always start as sunshine and rainbows for him I wouldn't chalk it up as that uh, he did have to climb up into his starting role he played 3 seasons with the broncos and he earned the starting stride you know as a as a freshman the numbers 7.7 points per game it's not popping off the page 2 seasons ago though 11.5 points per game 4.1 rebounds Did not shoot particularly well from three, though. So he had to make a change. Look good at the foul line. Shot 76% just about in last season. That is when he spread his wings out. 18 points per game. 4.4 rebounds. 4.2 assists. About 40% from distance. And he was orchestrating basically as a point guard. When he was selected, the position labels him as a shooting guard or a small forward, but he plays like a point guard. That's where he played prior to college. That's where he played closing out in college. Very good in terms of passing out of the pick and roll. This is something that is a trait you can attribute to everybody in OKC's backcourt, even guys that aren't really playing minutes. They're all pretty excelled at handling and pick and rolls and making good decisions out of them. The thing that separates him is his ability to play from downtown as well. I think the only player that is similar to J-Dub on this team in that regard would be Trey Mann. But SGA and Josh Giddy as of right now are a bit of on a down spell. And I think that they are a little bit more playmaking oriented. Trey Mann might be as well in terms of on-ball creation. But he has a perfect blend of being able to contribute with the ball in his hands as that playmaker, but also off the catch, kind of just being that low-maintenance scorer. And he showcased in the Summer League that he might be one of the Thunder's best players on the roster in this area from the get-go. We're talking backdoor cut after backdoor cut. Are defenses in Summer League a little bit more lax? Absolutely. I think that allows for a lot more defensive breakdowns, a lot more open cavities, but regardless, you know, even if there are open lanes, it wasn't like there were other Thunder players really abusing backdoor cuts and abusing cuts in general like J-Dub was. He understood the floor space probably more than just about everybody. Um, and because of that, you saw, you know, handoffs to Chet Holmgren where Holmgren's at the top of the key. Open lane. What does J-Dub do? Immediately curls to the basket, gets a free B2 points. That is a high level play. Josh Giddy slashing to the basket. Sees a collapse. Closed off from the corner. What does he do? He slides inside, back door. That's an easy dunk, reverse, whatever you want it to be. It's two points for him. Very prestigious as a finisher. I think he brings that all around package as a rookie that, you know, puts him in a position where I might have him on the bench right now. I think he'll probably be a bench player for most of this season until injuries occur or you know, you get to see games with maybe less um, playoff impact attached to them. I think he could start there. I see him, you know, kind of gravitating towards about a 20-minute roll to begin the regular season. I don't think that's going to be his minute average, to be honest. I think when it's all said and done, we're talking maybe 25, 26 minutes per game just based on waiting everything out and Because I I truly believe he's going to have a stellar rookie season for the Thunder. He provides everything that this team needs on both sides of the basketball. OKC has needed a Jalen Williams type of player for years. They've attempted to do this. They've attempted to bring in guys for the G League in efforts to kind of build them up. Melvin Frazier Jr. being the biggest one. And it just hasn't worked. The best they have done has been acquiring guys such as Andre Roberson. Tabo Cephalosha, where, you know, they are really good defensively. Tabo was a good three point shooter, but Andre clearly, you know, that was a little bit more of his downfall, if you will. They haven't had the hybrid, such as J Dub, though. So I think he comes in as that immediate impact. I think if you're going to compare his trajectory to anybody else, maybe Trey Mann is a good example. The one difference, I don't expect J-Dub to play for the OKC Blue this season. Trey Mann did for just a couple games last year, but I think for the most part, he was averaging about 20 minutes per game until you saw injuries, and then he was starting, dropping 30-point performances like it was nothing and averaging like 28 minutes per game, probably post All-Star break. So that is the same lineup for him. Just a home run pick I think at this point, it's not a secret. If you're calling him a steal, that's fair. Um, Are you ahead of the curve, per se? You know, maybe, maybe not. I think that after Summer League, he was kind of chalked up as a top 10 player that was in Salt Lake and in Vegas, but nonetheless, I mean, just a great, great start to his career in OKC Blue Colors. Now I want to move on to the two-way contracts. And I think it's interesting. Both two-way signees essentially are the same role. They're almost interchangeable, almost. The archetypes are different, but it's unlike years prior where you're entering the season with someone such as Paul Watson Jr. and then, you know, Aaron Wiggins. I think that maybe you can make the case they're both wings, Paul Watson Jr. is probably more of that set in stone three, where I would say Wiggins, it might be more of that two, Could move up to the three. And the irony of it is, I have him listed as a small forward. By the way, uh, just for purposes, like I said, of spreading things, uh, spreading things out for you guys. I don't want you listening to a 45-minute pod and then um, a 20-minute pod. You know, in the next one, keeping it even coded is kind of what I'm aiming for here. But you know, it's almost like there's competition in between those two, two way spots because of how tight the wing positions are already. The one difference I think that separates this incoming two way class from the other ones, both Lindy waters and Eugene Omaruyi are not like new kids to the block. They're not bringing in players that are like 20 years old, 21 years old. Lindy waters is 25 and Eugene Omaruyi is also 25 years old. They are looking for impact players, Kind of reminds me of the Paul Watson Jr. edition, where he was brought in to be a sniper. He wasn't, and then he got shuffled out for Lindy Waters, who was. They are looking to find some high-floor type of players to bring on as a role player for a season or two. We'll start with Lindy Waters. I don't expect him to be in the day one rotation. I I can say this confidently. I think based on the G League schedule. They should at least be on the sidelines for the Thunders games. Will they be active in the rotation? I don't believe so. I think both Waters and Eugene will be suited up in street clothes, but I think they'll still be present just based on the location and everything. He was a key fixture to close the year, and I think that holds some real weight. Averaged 8 points per game, 2.9 rebounds last season, and 36.3% from distance. His story is very unique. I've covered it on the pod before. I think I'll cover it again when we get into actual OKC Blue coverage because his story really resembles what players on the OKC Blue could picture. You know, even though you're signed to a training camp deal, Exhibit 10 deal, and it's made clear you're not going to have a two way contract to begin with, if you are able to put in that work, they're going to be able to see you and they're going to reward you. That's exactly what happened to Lindy Waters. Completely changed his career trajectory in like less than a year. I think it's been a calendar year since um, the Summer League actually commenced last season. So, and he wasn't even on that. He didn't make the Summer League roster. So that just puts things into perspective. But what I can tell you immediately, and what you guys all know, I mean, he is brought in as a three point player. This is a player brought in for a set role and they quite frankly need someone such as Lindy Waters. Is he stellar defensively? I think he's solid. He made some some good plays last season with the OKC Blue. He wasn't getting chopped up to pieces when he was out there running it. So, I I'd, I'd say he's probably run of the mill defensively. He's not popping out anywhere, but from the three-point line, he's one of the Thunder's better options. G League, you know, NBA doesn't matter. Organizationally, he's one of their best shooters because He's able to shoot in the corner, put him in the corner, put him in the wing. If he's open, he'll pop it. You know, I think there's a good chance on that dice roll. But even more so, coming off of DHOs, coming off of flybys, where he's grabbing the ball, immediately going into a moving three point shot, much better than I'd say 80, 90% of this roster. And if I were to tell you who would be better in terms of, you know, like a, a fadeaway three, I'd imagine Trey Mann is probably in that upper echelon. SGA, even though the numbers aren't great, you know we've seen in spells where he's just impossible to guard while moving. Those are the two that I'd probably mock up. And someone even like Jalen Williams, I think, will be good uh, coming off the catch, coming off the move for some of these shots. Really honed in on his uh, baseline mid-range at Santa Clara. With Lindy, though, yeah, it's going to be a perimeter-centric type of game. And it might not be entirely flashy, but he can go on tangents where he is dropping 12 points in eight minutes. He wasn't playing the back end of last season. And I think the reason was, was he <laughs> genuinely was playing above his pay grade of a two-way contract. He was just that dominant to end the year out. OKC, I'm sure, wanted to harvest ping pong balls. That was a smart decision as it all played out, uh, but they didn't want to run him and I I genuinely think it was due to his spark plug. He only played 19 minutes per game last year. Eight points within 19 minutes is very productive. So I don't know if he'll be averaging 19 minutes per game next year, but when he is playing, I, I bet he does have sparks. you know, double digits, if you will. The big thing with two-way contracts is you have games where they'll play three minutes, one minute, just just get some on-court time. And that really knocks down the overall average play. That's why I want to start just with a day one statistics. Uh, But if he stays part of the course in the G League, continues to be the three-point shooter he is, I think that call-up is going to happen. And there's going to be room made for him to let him impress again because he did show flashes of being an NBA player last season. And he definitely showed that he's one of the Thunder's better options in terms of how they actually want to mold this team. Eugene Omoruyi, you know, he's... I wouldn't say cut from the same cloth as Lindy. Now, they do have a similar starting point um, in the fact that Eugene played four seasons of college ball, ended things out at Oregon, undrafted last year. Lindy went undrafted in 2020. And then Eugene got his ticket to the big show last year with the Mavericks, actually. He played summer league ball with them, earned a two-way contract while he was there, and looked amazing. One of their best players in Las Vegas and then going into the season looked stellar for the Texas Legends. One thing that I think is just so huh, funny almost, and if I was in the Legends organization, I would be fuming about it. The Blue have basically acquired all of their previous two ways the last couple seasons. Moses Brown, Jalen Horde, now Eugene Maruyi. Granted, they waived them, so they can't be upset about it, but I think that dynamic would be interesting because Brown played above, you know, his contract. Jalen Horde played above his contract. And then uh, to close things out, Eugene Maruyi, he has the ability to six foot six with a seven foot two wingspan. This is the type of length that Sam Presti loves to pieces. And the three ball for him was pretty steady at Oregon. I think it was in the mid thirties uh, when he was there. So You know, he was kind of proving himself um, in multiple different areas. When I was kind of assessing him initially, I didn't do a ton of um, scouting work on him two years ago. I don't think I really did at all, to be honest. But there were scouts that were high on him, had him as a draft grade. And I would say based on what he did um, at the collegiate level, yeah, I think you could make that sort of case on why he was worthy of a potential selection or a two-way deal, which ultimately he did pick up. Averaged 17.1 points, 5.4 rebounds, and 2.3 assists as a senior at Oregon, shooting 37.6% from distance. So he was very efficient. You know, this is another deal where he's going to need to earn earn his stripes at the G League level. Aaron Wiggins is the projection I'd have for him in terms of what his starting point would be. Might sneak in a couple games before getting moved to the G League, but G League play starts in November. He's going to be down there in November going into December. If he's averaging 18 points per game in the G League, that's when you give him the call-up. That's when you get to see his worth, um, and that's when you start maybe throwing into play a contract upgrade if there is some wiggle room that you could kind of ooze out on that roster. One thing, I think if there is going to be a contract upgrade, we're not going to see an Aaron Wiggins situation last year where mid-season they find some room to cut a player, you know, they're going to have to kind of continue things out. I don't think there's a glaring guy on the outskirts of this team whenever you get down to 15 players. So it might be, you know, going into the March 1st deadline where you waive a player to allow them to play in the playoffs. Just something like that where you could slide in a two-way guy into the long-term future. But That sort of does it for me in terms of how I have all of these guys stacked up. If you guys have any questions, have any suggestions, or have your own opinions on the rotation, make sure to let me know. This one's going to round out the backcourt. In the next pod, we are starting with a small forward position, climbing all the way up to the center spot. So keep tabs for that. Should be hitting your guys' notifications in the next coming days. So look out for it. As always, though, guys, I really appreciate you guys listening to this episode, and I'll talk to you all next time. See ya.